Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download from podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for the Hornsby Kareem Guy Post, Atlas Chartered Accountants and our new sponsors in the Hornsby RSL. Anthony the Bull Caruso here and with all talk about what is happening in rugby league at this stage, we thought that we would have a look at what is happening only more in depth and better than anything that could be offered at Fox Sports. Tonight we will look at the recent crackdown over contact with the head and how referees are handling the challenges around the usage of the sin bin and the send-off when it comes to contact with the head. This has really hit home for a lot of fans, given the very fresh news that former New South Wales Blues and Sydney Roosters captain Boyd Cordner has announced his medical retirement after failing to recover from his repeated head traumas. We do have an incredibly special guest joining us tonight, and we thought for a discussion of this importance, we get one of the absolute best in local rugby league. Joining us from Hawkesbury FM is their resident rugby league caller and motorsport tragic, Nick Kutnyak. Good evening to you. Yeah, good evening, Anthony. Good evening, everybody. And look, this is one of the interesting topics that will be debated to the cows come home because, as we know, with all the latest rule changes that have changed the game in some respects for the better, the fans are not happy because it's missing the grunt factor or the rough factor, and that is the biggest concern that fans believe it's still okay. Uh, I know that's going to be a massive talking point part of this, and There's something that I've been saying for the last couple of weeks and some people have been disagreeing with me, but I'm going to jump on something called indemnity. But we'll get to that shortly, Anthony. Absolutely. This is a huge issue and one that we will look at in depth through two parts. Part one tonight, we'll look at how we ended up in this situation, including recent studies about contact sport with regards to concussion. Well, part two, we'll then look at how we deal with the situation going forward looking at examples from other sports and how they're potentially being applied in rugby league and where we think this balance needs to come through. Because we want to make sure that rugby league, to a certain extent, maintains some of what makes rugby league so great. But we do have to acknowledge as well, Nicholas, that we can't have it happening at the expense of the players' personal well-beings. Yes, and I think one thing that will come to mind, and we, we talk about head traumas all the time, and And can we just put the myth to rest straight away in regards to headgear? Because everybody goes, why don't players just wear headgears? That's just going to help the situation. It's not. It's for abrasions and cuts. So let's just throw that out there now because I don't want to talk about it throughout the rest of the podcast and the show because at the end of the day, as much as everybody wants to go headgear, 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 they actually do nothing when it comes to protecting the head for concussions. Absolutely, and I'll, we'll come to that, I guess, as we go through a little bit later on when we talk about other sports and the what they use in terms of headgear to prevent that from happening. Uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, this is a big issue within rugby league and one that needs to be treated with the utmost of care. So, with that, let's get straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. <laughs> Now, the first question we need to ask, obviously, is how we got into this situation. And what 
I found interesting from a little bit more of the in-depth research I was doing, Nick, was that the first significant study um, into head trauma within sports actually occurred more around 2015, but some of it goes as far back as the 1920s, although not within any sort of rugby game around rugby league or rugby, rugby union. And that's not a surprise because rugby league, in, in, in all due respect, both rugby codes, I'm not going to use the words barbaric, but you can put it along the lines of that because at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that watch these codes and they always go, how do you guys do it without headgears? And, of course, that's more so from the American point of view going, you don't wear helmets, uh, how do you protect the head? And we've always gone, well, this is how we play and that's it. Now, it's a big concern as we talk about that because we haven't really done much research and I'll talk about from a standpoint of the health and safety, as you mentioned, 2015 beforehand, other sports, but rugby league has always been the last for a lot of things. Now, I know we're going to get to the rugby union situation, the way they've uh, stamped out these head contacts, but the thing is now, how do we use these head traumas? Because obviously, the, the research they've done the research is all about um, what happens at the end of your career and then what problems to your mental defect or whatever brain injuries that can occur. But we've never actually looked at it when it's a real-life player in transition. So I'm talking about somebody from basically at the age of, what, 14, maybe even 13, to potentially, what, 29 to about 30, depends on what part of their career they do retire. Of course, that is, in a lot of respects very early to retire you're probably looking at maybe a a 34 to 35 window of age so i think that's where we need to look at now we've got perfect examples now with board boy corner as you mentioned retired wade graham's another one that's going to be discussed at nauseam for the next couple of weeks so this is where we get to yes it's great we've done that research with the retired players but let's start to go back and see what happens as you continue. Now, I know we're diving in many different parts of this conversation, but I wonder what we should do after the first concussion. So, for instance, now, let's let's say that we've decided in 2023 that we're going to monitor every time you get a concussion from basically when you first start playing rugby league in a junior level, Okay. So that's when you get your first concussion, then a scan's done. Then the second one, you do another scan. So that could be 18 months, that could be six weeks. It could depend on when you get your next concussion. And then we start to see, and, and you know what, this could be the, the real-life case study. This could be happening, we don't know. And then we start to see what effects it's going to be. I think that's the only way we're going to work out what actually needs to happen. But again, that is a long research paper that will go 30 years, potentially, and I don't think we've got the time if rugby league is going to make changes today. So it's, it's great that we've mentioned what happened in 2015, and I know, as I said, I'm probably jumping to many different points too early here, but I just wonder how much of that paper is actually something we can take on as gospel now. I'd agree with that completely, and a lot of that really does stem from those very studies that have occurred in the first place. Now we've got to, we have to remember that back back when they first started investigating this more in depth, 
you really couldn't work on and even having a basic understanding of what this kind of action would be doing to the brain until the person was actually deceased. And, you know, it was not, wasn't until um, 2005, on, and, it, and it took the NFL in particular, they ran a study looking at the brain condition of former players Mike Webster and Terry Long and found massive degeneration of brain matter Within, within the heads of some with, of the two of these players. And all of a sudden, you're sitting here going, well, if this is what's happening to them at the end of their lives, what on earth is happening to them in the here and now during the middle of the games or in the middle of their careers? And it's scary. And it, it is very scary. And, you know, you watch old games of rugby league and you go, oh, that, that was awesome, you know, big collision. But then you, you have to stop and think, well, wait a minute, what happens after that collision? What's going to happen to his mental capacity if he keeps on getting hits like that. Boxing's another example. It's a sport that's obviously built on belting each other's head. And, you know, that sport is still going. UFC's become this big phenomenon in the last 20 years. And I wonder how that's become a phenomenon when, you know, we've had all these head traumas come in in the last 20 years or more discussion about it. So it's funny how we keep on talking about we need to protect our game and make sure it doesn't happen, yet other sports are still getting away with it. I don't mean that I want to see it continue. No no way. I, I just want to make sure that we see good, clean rugby league. But we've got to work out what's going to be the perfect balance. Is there a perfect balance in the game with these? Research papers help in regards to going, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. But then rules have to change. Tackling techniques need to change, and that means that we're going to have transition periods for 10 years, potentially, and that's a max of 10 years, the transition period. But then one thing you go to in regards to these NFL players that have had, they've done the research to the brain when when they died, you look at what happens then, and you see what's happened here, here, and here. You almost have to, if they can, because, again, it is hard for vision pre-1955, 1958, really, in in the NFL scene because they broadcast nearly every game from about the, the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, but you'd almost have to look at where the contact was and how great the contact was. And that is the concern of NFL being a different sport or gridiron being a different sport where most of the contact is always going to be head first. And, and what I mean by that is when you're hitting a player at speed, you're always sort of mooring them with your head. You're not really using your shoulder and such. Yes, there is that head contact if somebody runs the shoulder into the head, but most of the time when you're going for the the head contact, you're actually hitting in defence. You're the one hitting. So it's it's a different story to what we're seeing with attacking players in rugby league. But it's funny how all of a sudden this has become a big issue and... When I say it's become a big issue, it should have always been a big issue. But then what I have the big issue with this, Anthony, is everybody's gone, oh, we're starting to see concussions up. Well, concussions are not going up. Concussions are just being recorded now. And that is the biggest problem, that everybody's going, how come now the concussion rate's gone up? No, it's always been this way. It's because now we're recording every concussion. Like, could you imagine... The concussion rates we would have had in the 70s in rugby league or the 80s? I'd be, it'd be absolutely horrendous. 
And we're not just talking about issues with regards to rugby league. Look at some of the other sports. We mentioned the NFL, uh, but they've had similar issues when it comes to the NHL, which led, which has obviously led to the changing nature of the headgear that's used in that. Uh, we've even had uh, recent announcements from, you know, of all things, the WWE, where uh, Hall of Famers Mick Foley and Booker T have offered to donate their brains to science for the purpose of studying the trauma that they would have gone through as well. And one of the fascinating parts that comes from it, and you mentioned the headgear that's used and the fact that headgears within rugby league are pretty much useless to prevent the um, prevent concussions from occurring. You then look at other sports, NFL, NHL, cricket, where you start to see the onset usage of helmets as part of it. Now, there's debate about whether they actually work, although it would ha- has to be said that the, the helmets that are there are designed to take one straight-on impact, but that alone is not enough to stop head blunt head trauma from occurring. You're right about that, Anthony, and that's the big concern. Of course, one of the sports that we play, of course, you play at a better level than I have, and I'm talking about cricket here, where you talk about that one hit, and, and remember... That's only become the bean last six years since the sad passing of Philip Hughes that it's been a main talking point now that we need to have one-use helmets because back in the day, uh, helmets, you get hit, you use it again. You get hit, you use it again until it's completely faulty. But you just wonder how many times would that cause problems in the brain? And you don't know. Cricket, Cricket is a different sport because... It is a ball that weighs, what, 156, and then you've got this coming at you potentially at about 140 to 160. It depends on how quick the bowler is. At our level, you're probably facing about 140 max. I'm probably facing maybe about 125 max. But still, it doesn't matter 15K's difference. It's still going to be hard as hell when it hits you in the helmet. And I suppose that sport, it's always going to be different because... We haven't done the research into, or the brain's being donated to actually look at that. I wonder when a brain is donated, what they'll find, because I don't know how bad it's going to be. And also, the other thing to note, and not saying that it is exactly right, but you think of where a ball hits the helmet, nine times out of ten, it's not getting you right into the skull. When I say that, I mean... In regards to the ball is clearly hitting the helmet. It's not going to hit the, the skull on impact unless it's the, it's the ricochet and it's the, um, whiplash effect. And I think that's what it's going to be more down to in cricket. Hockey, we're seeing that with all the hits, of course, they're hitting, they're facing. And, and, and let's be honest, when you're hitting a ball at, at speed, probably about 70 Ks at max, right? You think of that. And how close you can hit it. Say, if you're even a metre away, you're still getting heavy contact. That's going to hurt. And that's going to be more brutal, I reckon, than some other sports. One that we haven't mentioned, and I remember this was a discussion a couple of years ago, Anthony, and I think we all laughed about this, but it is, in a sense, a serious thing to look at, was football. Talking about a beautiful game here. And heading a ball. Now... I'm laughing now because I remember when everybody made this discussion. But it is actually a serious thing. Like, you think about how many times you head the ball. What is it doing to the brain 
afterwards. We never really looked at that either. So you, you can go to a thousand sports and pick up anything from it. There's always going to be head contact. Almost the only sports that are not going to have head contact, literally, is like running, athletics. That's the perfect sport to say there's going to be no head contact. Because in swimming, and, and you know, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but swimming, you've got the chance, and when I say a chance, there is a slight possibility that you can actually hit the wall of your head. Now, and I'm talking about the fact when you go there, you make your turn around, you could, if you overshoot, you can hit uh, your head on the, the board or on the blocks. No, not on the blocks, but you hit your head at the end of the uh, pool as you come back. So, really, there's only a couple of safe sports. Athletics is one of them. Touch football, you can't even say is safe. I say that because you fall down when you've made a run, and all of a sudden, you hit your head on the... the, uh, the um, on the grass, and it could be hard there. So I just wonder if we get rid of contact sports, is that going to be all of a sudden the end of the head trauma debate? I think it is. But then how many sports is there going to be? It, it, it really does become a challenge around how, is, it, is it even possible to mitigate the, uh, the risk around it? I, I think from, from studies that have been done so far, uh, with football, it is, as you rightly pointed out, it's inconclusive when it, when it comes to football at this stage. Um, and, and part of the reason for that, I think, is the technique that they use to, that they, they teach people to use with their head. A lot of trauma that occurs often in results with, um, impacts that occur above the, um, above the temple. Whereas a, a proper header, they say, in football, often doesn't result from a ball coming to you at significant force. It's actually more the head going going through it. And where the where the theory is is that the head trauma comes from your skull going backwards and your brain going forwards. Whereas if your brain and your head are going in the same direction with very similar momentum, the risk of head trauma coming occurring from it is significantly reduced. So with football, it becomes a little bit more inconclusive when it comes to a header. But certainly with regards to the other sport, it absolutely is the case of a um, of trauma occurring. And you're certainly right. And I think you're forgetting as well, when it comes to uh, diving into the pool sometimes, if you get that dive wrong, that's, that's a genuine risk for concussion. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right about that, especially still. And even if you don't hit the wall or anything in regards to that, still, and I know this bit is inconclusive, but it's how hard you can also hit the water. Because if you hit the water that hard, uh, you know, I'm not saying that water's going to give you concussion. But what I'm saying is, you get a hard splash, anything can happen. So you make a fair point in regards to that. Which brings me to something that I've been throwing around a lot, Anthony, and this is one where I'm not a lawyer, so it's going to be a hard one to argue if it can't be done, but I've been speaking about it for a while now in regards to the liability and signing a waiver saying that, you know what, if something happens, I'm not going to sue because I know the risk. And I go to a sport that we're both... We are both mad on, that's motorsport. And, of course, the Demonies have been signed where they know that 
this is the contract, and they say, okay, we know that there's a chance we could die, but we're signing our life away because this is what we want to do. Is it time that contact sports, rugby league in particular, start looking at that? Now, I know there is talk from some lawyers out there saying that it's an illegal practice, but I wonder if it is actually an illegal practice. I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question out there. But is it something that we might have to look at going forward? Oh, I think it's something that may need to be discussed as part of it, and certainly the risks that occur with it means that you know, you're going to get to a stage where uh, insurance companies may turn around and go, well, we don't feel comfortable with underwriting this sport going forward because the risk is too great, and if something happens, we're going to lose out. You only need to look at the lawsuit that occurred to the NFL back in, uh, back in 2016. 5,000 former players in the NFL sued the competition itself for amounts totaling one billion U.S. dollars. Yes, you heard right, ladies and gentlemen, one billion U.S. dollars. And it was connected with the fact that the NFL had actually hid the results of a study that um, discussed the dangers of repeated head trauma from them. The decision was upheld in 2017 and has actually opened the door, they think, for an estimated 21,000 um, player, ex-players, who would now become eligible to make a claim as a result of this decision. I think the legalities with regards to this and the requirements of underwriting from insurance becomes a huge factor as a result of this. It does, and that's where something needs to be looked at going, well, how do we make it better? Now, you can make the sport as safe as possible. Rugby League has, and and I give Peter Volandis a lot of credit for what he's been trying to do. Now, I know everybody's been going, but how can you give somebody 10 in the bin for something that, you know, wasn't his fault? But then you need to think about the fact that tackling technique really needs to be looked at. Now, the problem is, as much as we say, oh, the leg tackle, you know, that's the most important tackle. You're going to tackle around the legs. Well, reality is, as much as you can tackle around the legs, yes, that means you're stopping their leg speed and momentum that way. But you know what you're not stopping? You're not stopping the offload. And all of a sudden, you see the ball offloaded, and then that's why you need the person around the chest. But the problem is, and this is the issue of rugby league, as much as you're trying to hit the chest hard, what happens is players do bend down or they duck down, whatever you want to call it. But if they're in a falling momentum, you're going to have contact with the neck or the head. Now, you can't stop that unless you end up playing grab one, two, three, and that could well be the case if if it is a big concern with the, the liabilities and the insurances, and, and that's where the biggest problem is coming here, Anthony. The reality is what Peter Volandis is doing, he actually hasn't really changed the rules. Or the NRL hasn't actually changed the rules. What they're saying is they're going to use the 10 to be more or potentially to send off more, because they've always been there in the game, so that the rules actually haven't changed. It's just the enforcement of it, and we're blowing up because we're seeing these enforced. Though, what we're seeing at the moment, I think is a lot of sounding and parity with it, that they've made the right calls, and now we are seeing ones that, you know, we would say probably should be let go, do get let go, but there is warnings to them. But then we also do see, and it's going to happen, 
where head contact, where both players are running hard, and and that's going to happen. We go back to we go back to one that happened in 1975, the most famous one, right? Langlands. And at the end of the day, he was groggy, still played. They needled him up, did everything. Shouldn't have played. Him and Schubert go into a collision, but they were chasing the ball. They were both going after a ball. So it's not going to stop that. It's not going to stop when a defender is trying to tackle you around the shoulder and you're running at him and you duck down. That's not going to stop that. So the reality is that if rugby league is to survive, they need to seriously look at what the insurance premiums are going to be if anybody's going to underwrite it. And if not, they need to look at going down the motorsport path and if that is not going to be a workable situation, then there has to be a discussion going to all 16 clubs. What are we going to do going forward? How are we going to make sure that we can still have contact but not have these serious injuries? Is it also going down a point? And, you know, I I take an example from a parody movie of a comedy. So... Not another team movie is a parody of American Pie, but but one of the lines, in it, and yes, to make a joke of it, but it's the concussions that the players keep on suffering uh, every time we get hit in the gridiron team. But are we going down the path where we're going to have, say, you've got a max of 10 concussions. Every time a concussion is, we knock it off on the board. That means nine, that means eight, that means seven. Are we going down to that path where we need to count it to the point where you go, you've had 10 concussions, that's it, you're done forever, and you have to be retired on the spot. That's what we might have to end up doing as well. So many things that need to be looked at, but at the same time, how do we keep what we love the most about rugby league, and that is the hard hits, but also have safety to players at mind? It's very difficult. One of the, one of the biggest... Uh, one of the biggest voices in regards to this um, actually started off around about 2015, and it's a name that has been very familiar with raising issues within rugby league in, in terms of you know bringing positive light to something that needs to be discussed. Um, and I bring the case of one of my one of my favourite players when I was growing up in Ian Roberts, uh, who not only has announced that he will be donating his brain for for, for science research, but has actually sat in a study back in 2015 with 24 other former NRL players looking at the impact of multiple concussions as a result of the game. No surprise to start off with that Ian Roberts has put himself up for this, but he's spoken personally about some of the issues that he's had, especially in his post-career as an actor. Yeah, and it is showing that, you know, you are forgetting things. And, and it's a sad reality that this is bringing up the point of what happens when you're 45 or 50 and you're trying to remember things, and all of a sudden you've forgotten the basic things because of the head trauma. And that is where we've got to remember, and we've always spoken about the, the short lifespan of players, of any sport. And we've spoken about the fact that at the age of 35, they're washed up. And we always, well, I should say the fans, not necessarily I, because I, I understand that you need to pay the premium for a lot of players. And... Not every player gets the premium, but you need to pay a wealthy wage so they've got something after the career. But 
what we always chat about and what my big thing is, yeah, but they also need to look at being, uh, look at doing some sort of course so then at the end of their career they can go to something that's not Channel 9, that's not Fox Sports because the reality is there's maybe about 15 or 20 spots there at either organisation and you're not going to get a job out of it if you're a certain player that's, you know, not the world-class player at that time. So that needs to be looked at and, and realising that you need to find something else to do. Some players are smart about it. Robbie Farris, the perfect example. Um, he's got his great business and he's going great guns and a lot of players do. Some players go down the acting path. A few when, when, Bo, when Bo Ryan's not destroying his restaurant. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but even Bo Ryan. Bo Ryan's gone down the path of being an entertainer. Doing a great job. He's, he's no Matty Johns because he's basically gone down a path of trying to be like, not like Matt, because Matt stayed in the rugby league scene, but he's been trying to be a host or presenter, different path, but still doing a very good job. So the thing is, though, that you need to actually look after yourself for the future. But then it goes back to this as well when you're forgetting things. And all of a sudden, say if you're doing, you're doing books, and all of a sudden you're not getting the maths right in your head and nothing's going right and it's all because of an injury you suffered 15 years ago well all of a sudden you could be you could be 45 and you can't continue what you want to do you know running a business because you can't do the accounts anymore because every time you do the accounts your head gets um he's hurting more and more because you can't work out the maths you're 45 years of age and you're completely washed up. So, I don't know. It's it's a difficult one. And it's one that I don't think we're going to ever understand personally because we're not going to, and, and when I say gladly, we're not going to be able to uh, get into this situation. I'm so glad because we don't want to suffer these head traumas. But the people that do, imagine being in their shoes that all of a sudden they can't do anything. Like, you know, Ian Roberts... For the, the head traumas he potentially has, he has done a remarkable job to still be acting at a very good level. And, you know, doesn't mean that the, um, the script writers have to write less, less words because he can't remember all of them. Potentially. But still, he's doing a very good job. But that's the biggest issue. So, look, we're going to go around in circles forever how we fix it. But, I think we're just going to talk about how we limit the impact. Well, with that, we're going to take our break, and when we come back, we're going to go specifically into the NRL rule changes, have a look at if they're working or not, and what adjustments need to be made. You are listening to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for the Hornsby Karengai Post, Atlas Chartered Accountants, and the Hornsby RSL. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download from podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for the Hornsby Karingai Post, Atlas Chartered Accountants, and the Hornsby RSL. 
and Isabel Caruso with our special guest Nick Kutnyak from Hawkesbury FM talking about the NRL and the changing nature of the way that they are dealing with head trauma. We've just been talking a little bit about the how we got to this situation, some of the studies that have occurred and some of the initial impacts we've seen with players post-career. Let's talk to the here and now. And Nick, we're going to go, what we're going to do is we're going to start off with the rule changes that have occurred, as you mentioned earlier on in this show, from what's happened with rugby union. I've got the specifics here, and I want to get your input on this and whether this is somewhat appropriate towards rugby league and how it's going in. So rugby union, uh, several years ago, introduced their new interpretations on what happens with regards to contact that is deemed to be high. Any arm or shoulder contact that results in direct contact goes into one of three categories. If it's just high, there's no contact with the neck, it is a penalty. Or if the player makes contact with the neck as a result of another of the attacking player falling within the tackle. If the contact is with the neck and it's direct contact, it is yellow card. If it's direct contact with the head, it is a, an immediate red card. Furthermore, they then change the rules about the players being lifted off the ground and like in rugby league, the onus is on the defender to return that player to a safe position. If the player ends up landing on his lower back, it's a penalty. If they end up landing on their upper back or shoulders, it is a yellow card. If they land on their neck or height, it is an immediate red card. Now, you spoke about it being, you know, quite a strong move by rugby union to try and protect their players. But to a certain extent, we've actually seen that this has worked within rugby union. Yes, and... You know, rugby union is a different sport. And when I say it's a different sport, the way tackles are made, like, you think about it this way, and this is the easiest thing to look at. And it's pretty simple. But in rugby union, you don't really line players up. You can, but you don't really line players up. What I mean by lining players up, you're not going to run seven metres and go hard at him. Because at the end of the day, you're in the breakdown, you can't really make that. While in rugby league, well, <laughs> you line up plays for fun because you've got that 10 metres. And then all of a sudden you go, okay, I've got you, bang. And I think that's the big difference. And, okay, they've got their rules in there and it works in rugby union. It's going to work in rugby union because it suits. Rugby league is a harder game. It goes back to the 10 metres. Now, I'm not suggesting by any means, I'm not suggesting that we should get rid of the 10 metres and make it five metres, or even potentially uh, say there's no metres, because that would ruin the game. I think 10 metres is what's needed. But then you're going to have that situation where players are going to fall in the tackles, and it's going to happen. Now, are we seeing attacking players trying to milk? Oh, yeah, for sure. But are defending players not realising that? Yes, they're not realising it. And that is, that again, and I laugh about this, Anthony, but it's a reality. They're not thinking this through. And I suppose when you're 50 minutes into a contest and you're breathing hard out, you're not thinking about this stuff. But that is being thought of. The other thing is, too, and we need to add this. Now, as much as we're talking about the rough and tough games of the 80s, and, you know, the 80s were absolutely rough. There was no question about it. But think of this now. Nearly every player on the field now is at least 105 kilos. 105 
at a minimum. Now that is Baxter now weighing at a hundred. Now that that is amazing, considering that back in the day some backs were about seventy kilos. Now you've got them at about a hundred kilos. Now imagine something running at you at a hundred kilos, probably about maybe fifty, sixty kilometers an hour at you. Think about about that pace. Think about that, especially if they've got a hand swinging out or arm swinging out or they've got their shoulder out, even though you can't shoulder charge because it's illegal, but trying to get their hand around but really to use that impact of the shoulder, that, that's going to hurt. And when a head hits it, that is going to make it a nasty situation. But again, it's all about technique and we need to change technique. But then it goes back to a process. And the process is going to be at least 10 years max. I should say 10 years max, not at least. 10 years max of the change of tackle technique. Question is, can rugby league really wait 10 years? I don't think they can. And they need to make that impact now because they know that in their commercial battle, especially with AFL, they need to make sure they stay front and centre to make sure that they can maximise the cash coming in and ensure that they can in maintain the long-term profitability of the game at a central component and also at the club component. And that brings us back to the discussion that we'll we'd be having around insurance and public liability. They need to make sure that they can keep everything viable in the long term. And if they don't do that, the cost, if it's not the cost spiraling out, it'll be the people turning their back on the game because they see it as being archaic. Mm. So, you know, this is where the, this is where the challenge is. And this, I think this is why Melendez has made the very strong step that he has to, to crack down on on the, the, the way he has. Now, we saw this in its initial phase during Magic Round, which saw 14 players sent to the sin bin, three players sent off, and of those players sent off, I mean, some big names in that, Josh Papali'i, Tyro Fuemono, and Herman S.A.S.A. Now, Papali'i is one of the one of the biggest names in the game at the moment. Herman S.A.S.A. is a, probably, you'd classify him as somewhat of a French player, but SASA was the one who probably drew more attention than anyone else because that technique that he used was very old-fashioned in terms of the high shot and is one that had journalists actually discussing, is this this kind of play that we are going to lose from the game as a result? My thought is, yes, and to be quite honest, it's about time. Yes, and uh, that is something I agree with you. I remember, and, and, you know, you think about this, Anthony, this is 16 years ago. But remember when everybody was going ballistic in importance of Sonny Bill Williams and his big hit on, Clinton, on um, Joel Clinton? Yeah. Everybody went absolutely nanas about that. But what damage has that caused got Joel Clinton? Like, that, that, is, that is the biggest problem about this, Anthony, is the simple reality is that these collisions... There is ramifications, and there is massive, massive ramifications. So it needs to be looked at. And if we lose these players, I'm sorry, but it's probably a good thing for the commercial game. Now, you got to remember, and, and the NRL, and we always use this line that the NRL and Rugby League are two separate entities. 
And they are. They are two separate entities because the NRL is what we see on TV every week. What we watch in the New South Wales Cup, Ron Massey, Sydney Shield, that's rugby league still. And that's rugby league to the form that we saw 10, 15, 20 years ago in the NRL. Now, I'm not condoning the big hits that we see, but you're going to see that. We want that stamped out. We want to see clean football, but we also want to see the hits as long as they are safe. Now, referees for many, many years have been scared. And when I say scared, they've been scared at what the backlash would be for sending off or sending players. We are seeing it now, and everybody blew up in the first week of what has been called the crackdown. What I would call it, besides the crackdown, is finally enforcing the rules. Now, this was done 15, 20 years ago. I don't think we're here talking about these issues. I think we're actually saying, thank God our game is in a better shape than rugby union or Aussie rules, even though... And the Aussie rules have done a fantastic job. The AFL have been terrific with head concussions. But one thing they have been starting to look at doing, and I'm glad that one got to the tribunal, the goal case player, and I can't remember his name, but I'm glad that that got looked at and got overturned because he should never have been pinged because he did nothing wrong. Now, what I think should happen, if it's a situation where it's going to be called, and, you know, you've got to look at the concussion factor, you've got to look at the injury factor as well. So if you make a hit and you give away or a player is injured, should you be having time off for the exact amount of time or at least part of the amount of time that the player that was hit is going to face due to the injury to concussion? Well, potentially we need to go down that path. But then... What about the minefield about trying to work out what is deemed to be a three-week sentence as opposed to a two-week sentence because the injury saw him out for five weeks? It becomes a very difficult factor to try and calculate there and then. And I think it's you can't you need to remain objective in terms of the action that that has occurred because to try and then become subjective as a result of it opens up. Um, many challenges to the referees themselves, and they've got enough to deal with in, in that regards as it is. I think you're right in terms of the referees themselves. They've been too scared to uh, to sin bin or send players off, and it seemed like the last time we saw anyone who had actually had the gall to send a player off in a significant game uh, really was Bill Harrigan when he sent off Gordon Tallis. That's the last time <laughs> yeah. we saw that. Yeah, and and let's not forget that famous game, uh, the Friday night game between Parramatta and Newcastle. Remember that? How many plays? Was it about five plays got binned or something? I'm trying to remember it. Yeah, it was was something that you haven't seen since, but we don't have referees like Bill Harrigan anymore. We don't have referees like Greg McCallum. Um, We don't have referees like Hollywood Hartley, and do mind you, I'm glad, because Hollywood just can't count. Um, there was nothing malice about him. Dave Manson, who used to actually get up in the faces of some of the players and give them an absolute berating on the field. And to see these big guys, you know, trying to act tough as nails with each other, they have a referee get up in their face, and all of a sudden they're backing right off. So Even you know, Jeffs. Yeah. <laughs> Kelvin. Yeah, absolutely. So 
it's the the issue is is that you're absolutely right. The referees have not had a spine to be able to do this now. Whether that's because the NRL Commission has told them to do that, or whether they're under pressure from the press, or whether the referees association uh, is too scared to back them on this regards, well, we don't know. But what we see, and once again, it's a strong move by Peter Volandis. He's basically come out and said, "If you, the referee, deem it to be a sinbin offence, we will back you." Mm. And, you know, for the first time, we've seen referees actually start using it. And and all of a sudden, you know, here's the other thing I've noticed in terms of the games and the arguments them, themselves. There's a lot less argument occurring on the field because players are being sin bit. The referee is actually now finally starting to play some, play some authority. It just, it, it disgusts me that it required head trauma to make this occur. Mm. Why wasn't it done earlier? Well, that's the thing. And, and we're going to remember as well now, I am and, and I'll, I will always defend, I think, what Politi, uh, Peter Volandis has done because I think Peter has done a, a remarkable job for not just rugby league but for, for the racing industry. And I, and, and I think we tend to think that he's trying to take over the world or there's people out there going, oh, he's just taking over the world. No, 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 let's, let's, yeah. let's, 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 let's acknowledge this. He, as far as we're concerned, the way he's been going, he is our Lord and Saviour. He's the patron saint of Mount Us. Oh, sorry, I mean Mount Usley. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. you know. and, and this is where, and I'm glad we agree because you've seen it with the racing side of things of what he's been able to achieve. And yes, he wants to stick it up the Melbournians and that's great, but then you get the serious side where he knows how damaging this can be. Just remember as well, racing. And you look at the jockeys where they can have some serious falls. And I always have to remind a lot of people, and this is a simple thing. Imagine going into a job. Imagine going to a job where you are riding a horse and you've got two ambulances following you. Not one, two. Now... That is that is scary, isn't it? It is very much so, and when it's even scary to think that you're writing something that has a mind of its own, and one false move could see you get um, see the horse rear up and do something you're not expecting. So every day, Peter Valandis is watching probably every meeting, or at least getting reports on every meeting in the racing scene in New South Wales. Then he's got eight games of rugby league. Now, think about this. There is probably an average of 14 or 15 meetings at the minimum in a week, plus eight games of rugby league. That's a lot of people that he has to worry about if they're getting hurt or not. And you know what? If people can't get it through their skull that they're trying to really protect the game and not just from the money side of things but actually protecting the people that work in the game well then you really need to have a a check about your values of sport and your values of life and and what's more important than what we're seeing at the moment on the field yeah absolutely absolutely so what what then enrages me about the debate that's going on is that it's still a debate to this point within certain members of the media and the what what came to mind in particular were discussions that were held on certain 
um, TV shows or news articles involving the likes of Phil Rothfield or Dean Ritchie when it came to this issue. And, you know, when, when you even have someone like Ray Hadley coming out and telling Phil Rothfield that he's on the wrong side of the debate with regards to this, someone who's lived and breathed rugby league for years, it, it makes you really wonder what, what role certain elements of the media have in terms of trying to keep this old-school flame alight with acknowledging the hard facts of what is happening in the, this day and age. Mm. Mm. And, you know, Ray has spoken about many of players that have got these issues, and, and we know about the situation with Ray Price and, and Steve Mortimer, and it's quite sad, but you know what? We've got an opportunity not to rectify what has happened to them, but what is going to happen to the players going forward. We've got an opportunity to do it. And I think we need to really be at our utmost and respect it, but also need to look at some of the, the rules in the game. Now, we spoke before about the, the 10, and the 10 has to stay, but the disadvantage is, in regards to a concussion point of view, that you can line a player up. But then something needs to be looked at. Is the pace of the game a worry? Now, I love the six against, to be honest. I, I think it's awesome because Same. the game moves. But is it a worry because we're seeing games sped up. Now, people go, but the game is longer than what has been. I think we're, we're getting caught in two different arguments. The game is quick. The actual in-game stuff. But the incidents around it, and basically we're seeing the incidents to get time off. Now, I don't have an issue with that because at the end of the day, I just want to see Flying Rugby League and I don't want to see this really, really ugly set of six that have only made about 20 metres, not doing much, and the kick is an absolute dog of a kick. And we don't want to see that. We want to see teams making a good 55 metres on a set of six, pinned down towards the end goal, and then the fullback just rushing out of his end goal to make it towards the 10 metres mark. We want to see that sort of football. We don't want to see pass one out, tackle, pass one out, tackle, pass one out, tackle, and and, and that's the thing. We want to see entertaining football, but we need to take the disadvantages, and one of the disadvantages is, and, and this is the problem, is that we are seeing these heavy hits because teams are trying to get a penalty or at least are happy to give away a penalty just to breathe for a couple of minutes. So then that begs the question, is it time to introduce quarters in rugby league? Now, from a television standpoint, that would be awesome. But do we have the opportunity to do that in rugby league in terms of fans allowing it? I don't think it will. I don't think they would allow it or buy it, I should say. I don't think they will. I think the rule's got to be more around um, pressing through with this to ensure that there is changes within the culture and changes within the way that a team is built up. Let's let's investigate these rules very quickly before we, uh, we sign off on the show. So at this stage, the rules that we have is that any... Um, any contact with the head, whether it's, I think if I'm correct in saying, Nicholas, if it's careless or reckless, will be an automatic sin bin, and there's very little wriggle room around that. On top of that, any high contact that goes beyond the pale of being deemed as careless or reckless 
um, or shoulder contact um, that makes contact with the head is now going to be deemed a send-off offence. It's almost as if they're mirroring the rules that are set in rugby union. Uh, are we moving, are we talking about, is it too much of a move? Are we moving too quickly to try and make further changes? Or do you think we've now got a balance where we can say, well, let's just see how this plays out for the rest of the year and see if there's any adjustments that need to be made later on? It's a hard one. It's it's a difficult one. I I, I still don't know where to sit because as much as I understand how much of an issue it is, and, and I like the fact that something's being done. I also, and this is where I think it's the traditional values I've got in regards to you don't want to see changes made. And you, you want to still see all the things we've seen since we've been brought on the rugby league game as five-year-olds or four-year-olds or three-year-olds. But it needs to change. How does it change or how do we sell the changes is the better thing. And also how we do it now. The reality of the crackdown is it should have been done round one of the season. A great yeah, period. Agreed. Absolutely yeah, agreed. Should have, period should have been done during the preseason. Yeah, absolutely agree. So... Um, you know, it's been brought in that Magic Round. It's, it's, I, I think part of the backlash might be because it occurred in Magic Round and no one saw it coming. Uh, which, okay, you could say, you could put that to, um, discussions about implementation going into the future. But for me, I think the rules are a, a major step in the right direction. I probably wouldn't want to see it play out for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one interesting piece that was um, that was brought up, and the question would be: Is there a commercial impact with their attempts um, to? And I think that the quote that came from Todd Ballum, who's one of the NRL writers, is the attempt there to remove the dinosaurs from the game in terms of demonstrating to families that rugby league is a game that can be played safely. My my belief is you can never play rugby league 100% safely, as you said at the top of the show, but as long as you can see NRL doing their bit to make sure that they can mitigate the risks, I think removing some of these um, edgier moments actually will help them in the long run. Yeah. I think one thing, and I'm going to put this out there, is these changes, let's see how they go in the next two years. But if these changes still cause these concerns, is it time, and I know this is probably treading water into our next session of this, but is it time to start looking at what players it is and seeing would those players fit into a condensed 10-team competition? So I think oh. you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Seeing these players that are doing it, fringe players that wouldn't get a run in elite 10-team competition. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. I see where you're going with that. And with that, that is full time here on Splinters. Um, what an episode it has been. One of the most talked about issues in sport in the last couple of years. This is one that will continue the conversation as to how a competition continues to evolve and better understand about head trauma within sport and how that will potentially shape sport as we know it to come. 
I'd like to thank my special guest, Nick Kutniak from Hawkesbury FM, for joining us tonight for this important episode, one that will be felt throughout all areas of rugby league. And, Nick, no doubt, throughout your calls into the not-too-distant future, this will probably come up again at some point during your matches, and it's something that definitely needs to have a conversation that continues on for the next couple of years. It's a conversation we weekly have on Sports Watch and one that will always happen, especially during our rugby league coverages as well. Next week, we will continue looking at issues with the NRL with a particular focus around the discussion around expansion or, as Nick has alluded to, maybe contraction of the competition. Until next time, this has been Splinters the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. And with thanks to our supporters at the Hornsby Korean Guy Post, Atlas Chartered Accountants and the Hornsby RSL. On behalf of Nick Kutniak, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. We'll be right back.